Hi everyone, I'm Noah Smith and welcome to Shooting Wide Open. My first guest of this series is Ben Horn. Ben's a really talented large format photographer and our conversation goes through his background, creative process, equipment, and a lot of other topics in between. Hope you guys enjoy this episode and here's Ben Horn. Well, Ben, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat. Uh, If you don't mind just introducing yourself for people who may not be familiar. Yeah, um, it's pretty, pretty awesome to do this. My, uh, my name is, is Ben Horn. I'm from San Diego. And uh, I've been shooting large format ever since like 2009 or so. Um, I do all landscape photography and uh, I visit most of the same sort of locations over and over again to kind of get them to know well, get to know them really, really well, like uh, Zion National Park and, and Death Valley. But yeah, it's, it's, it's fun stuff. I just go on solo landscape trips and uh, see what kind of photos I can shoot and sort of film videos while I'm out there as well. I think it's uh, really interesting just in terms of the work that you do specifically towards large format and it not being uh, medium format or 35 millimeter or anything like that. And, you know, uh, coming just from shooting on 35 millimeter and working my way up to medium format and now shooting large format as well, it definitely is a totally different ball game, um, as I'm sure you know. And I think there's something to be said about that, which is hard to explain to people who don't understand film in general. Um, what are your thoughts on, like, do you ever think explaining yourself to people is difficult in terms of what you do and, and how much work you put into it? You know, one of the things I've found over the years is that after a while, it just kind of, it, it just kind of becomes normal as far as kind of the way that I approach things. And, uh, I, I think people understand it when they see, uh, well, really when they see the film, which, you know, people don't really have the opportunity to see very often, but, you know, if, if a person has an opportunity to see, you know, a large format negative or positive on a light table and, and look at it with a loop and then you know, look at it, look at a print that was created from it. Um, a lot of people kind of, I, I think they see the, the, the reasoning for it. Um, but it's, it's just a whole different sort of way of working, which I've really come to enjoy because it really, um, it's really just kind of process oriented and and there's lots of limitations as far as what you can and can't do. And I find that that kind of helps guide me as a photographer, which is, which is kind of nice. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, the pace of it is just so much different. And I mean, coming from a digital background for years and then switching over to film about two and a half years ago and, and just strictly shooting on that now, it's just so different. And specifically with large format, I mean, I am constantly double checking to make sure the shutter is opened or closed. Cause I mean, if you're not careful, you can, you can easily get tripped up with it. Oh, for sure. You have to kind of develop your own sort of unique OCD as far as working with a camera and kind of the, the steps to, to take and everything you have to do. And, and after a while, you don't even think about it anymore. And I think that's actually when it gets to be a little scarier because you just start doing all these things and, and you don't even, you don't even think about what you're doing. Um, I was, I was on a triple a while back and I was shooting with another photographer who has a very similar style to me. And it was actually the first time I saw another large format photographer working. And it, I was pretty amazed by the fact that looking at 
this other photographer work, it really it looked like I was the one shooting the photo because it's like the exact same process I do where everyone kind of has their own way of doing things, but it's all kind of the same as well. But yeah, you, you definitely have to have that sort of case of OCD about making sure that everything's done just right because there, there's lots of mistakes to make, but you, you learn pretty fast from them. Yeah, I agree, man. It's interesting. To your point, you definitely do learn from it. But at the same time, it's kind of one of those things where for me, I'm always like, ah, I just want to do it perfect the first time, you know, and, mm-hmm, and then totally. whenever you mess up with it, you're like, oh, no. But I don't know. You definitely learn a lot from it. And just as a photographer, it helps you grow in general. Um, and and yeah, it's, it's definitely a lot of fun. I, I don't really know if I prefer large format over medium. Um, I think they are their own animal. Yeah, they're, they're both so so different as far as what you can use them for and the process that you work with and all the equipment and all that. Um, and I, I actually, I had a medium format for a while. I had, um, it was the Fuji 6x17 camera. And I really like that camera, but I just, I didn't use it enough to justify keeping it. And I, I eventually sold it off. Um, actually, I, I made money by owning it for a few years because they went up in value, but uh that was a fun one. I also had a Hasselblad for a little while. Um, it's the type of thing where I, I knew someone that was, uh, they had like three bodies and a whole bunch of lenses that they were wanting to sell. And I sold off two of them and sold off some of the lenses and realized I could totally keep this Hasselblad for free. Um, and I, I kept it for a little while. It was like a you know mint condition. Um, but I eventually ended up selling it off just because it didn't really fit my style as much. And I, I just don't like having equipment sitting around that I'm not using. I'm very, very happy to sort of move it along. So eventually, but there was something about that camera that was really fun to work with. I think that's one of those things in terms of equipment can easily go down what seems like a never ending rabbit hole. Oh, for sure. I think that goes without saying for really any trade, you know, it could be whether you're a musician or a craftsman or anything like that, you know, and I think it's just what you make of whatever art that you do. And if that's something that you feel like you need those pieces of equipment to maybe do whatever you're trying to achieve, uh, then maybe that's something to consider. But if it's really just more so to have it, I'm not sure if that's really going to benefit you that much unless you're like a collector, which is, you know, there's people that collect stuff, which I think is cool too. But I think there's so many great cameras out there that it's like, you know, if they aren't being used, but you own it, it kind of makes me cringe. Yeah. I I just don't, I don't like having stuff sitting around that I'm not using it actually I, I've been thinking a little bit about the uh, the Ebony 8x10 camera that I've used for a long time, but I've kind of retired now. And it, it's sitting there. And, and the crazy thing is, I mean, I bought that camera back in 2009 and I bought it used. It was like in mint condition. And uh, it's, you know, it's a wooden 8x10 view camera. So it's, it's a really nice camera, but um, that's the one that got eh, thoroughly kind of destroyed in Death Valley. Um, and it was, it was rebuilt by a friend of mine. And uh, now I'm just kind of, I retired it. And now it's kind of like two cameras back as far as I have. It's like the replacement for a replacement camera. But sitting there, but I mean, the, the camera that I paid probably about $3,000 for back in 2009, it's probably worth like five or $6,000 now, even though it was destroyed and rebuilt. Um, and I, and I, I, I kind of am tempted to want to sell it, but at the same time, uh, people are saying, hey, don't sell it, you know, sit there for a year or so and, and see what you think. But I don't know. It's just sitting there. It's not being used. That's kind of, it's kind of bugging me. So that's kind of the way I am on that kind of stuff. Yeah. 
Well, it's interesting because I mean, I had a standard monorail for a while and that was really my first introduction to large format and it was a great camera, but I realized pretty quickly it was fairly cumbersome in terms yeah. of trying to uh, actually do some traveling with it. Not even necessarily backpacking because that was never something I considered just <laughs> because it was so cumbersome. Yeah. But even just going, I don't know, like 20 minutes outside of the city, that was sort of a situation alone to get it out there. Yeah, they're just, just an awkward shape to try to carry. It really is. And like you can take it apart, but then it's like, well, now you have to put it back together, which, you know, so... I switched over to the Intrepid, which is like a night and day experience in terms of flexibility. Oh, yeah. But to your point, in terms of keeping something, I had that monorail for a while after getting the Intrepid, and I was kind of in the same boat. I was like, well, I'm not really using it, but at the same time, I did get a really good deal on it. And it's a solid camera that, you know, if you wanted to do some portraits or things like that, it'll work out perfect for it. But finally came to the conclusion that, well, I mean, I haven't used it in like three or four months. And I think it's getting to that point. And, uh, you know, I mean, it was still nostalgic for me since it was my first four by five. But, um, yeah, I mean, I totally understand where you're coming from on that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just one of those things where it's just like it's sitting there. I, I don't think I'm ever going to really use it much again unless like two really bad things happen in a row. And I happen to have that camera with me as well. Um but yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I don't like holding on to things. So I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens with that. So what ended up getting you into photography and, and film in general and then uh, large format? So I kind of started playing with photography um, back in high school. Um, got myself a, uh, it was a Rebel 35 millimeter film camera. And uh, this uh, is like, you know, the Costco special, you know came with a case and, and all that good stuff. Um, and I was just kind of playing with that. And then I, I took a high school photography class and it was something that I thought was kind of cool, but I didn't really, I didn't really take it very seriously. Cause you know, at that point it's just all like, everything's all kind of new and awesome and cool. So, um, you know, I was working in the dark room and all that. And, um, that was about the same time that digital was starting to come out pretty good. This was, um, I graduated in uh, 1999. Um, but yeah, this is when digital was kind of coming out. So I was kind of playing a little bit with film, a little bit with digital. But once digital came out, I really wasn't using the film camera anymore. Um, and I just kind of went down the road of, of digital, had a huge Canon setup and started playing with some landscape photography just because it was, it was something that was pretty accessible. Um, there's some really cool areas along the coast here in San Diego that I'd go out and, and take pictures at. So I, I, I really did enjoy doing that. Um, and then I started going on some trips out to the Southwest areas like, uh, you know, Utah, Arizona, stuff like that. And I, even though I had like a really good Canon camera, um, I, and you know, really good lenses and all that, I just wasn't really happy with the work that I was doing. And I thought it was cause like, I don't know, it was something about the equipment or something like that. Um, but you know, then a friend of mine suggested, you know, if you're shooting landscapes, you really should just be shooting a four by five camera. It'd just be a heck of a lot easier. And so I, I hadn't even thought about that. I didn't, I mean, I, I kind of, I knew what four by five cameras were because I, at the time I was helping to, um, sell off some photographers film equipment on eBay. So I had to check out all the cameras, make sure everything worked fine. And, um, I had sold some Toyo four by five equipment for one photographer. So I was, I was familiar with that name. Um, but then I just kind of like took my friend's advice and I bought a four by five and, and I, I went on a photography trip. It was my first solo landscape photography trip. 
it was a super super bowl sunday of 2009 and uh i had a permit for the wave in uh, in in northern arizona so i figured I'd, I'd hike into this location i'd shoot digital i'd shoot film i kind of figure out what it is that i wanted to do and uh set up the four by five took a photo started pulling out the digital setup and i just i didn't even feel like taking a picture so it's kind of at that moment where i'm like oh, I, I guess i like shooting film uh like the, the photo I shot that day wasn't all that exciting, but uh, but the next day I found uh, a photo nearby and uh, it's still actually one of my favorite photos to this day. And it was like on the first trip of shooting four by five. So that's kind of how I kind of fell into shooting large format. And then uh, later that year, I decided to buy an eight by 10 because I figured if I liked four by five, I probably would like eight by 10 as well. I always wanted an excuse to do that. And, uh, and that's what I've been doing ever since. That's awesome, man. Just hearing that transition from digital to film, I feel like, uh, is the ongoing story for a lot of film photographers these days, uh, including me. And, um, I don't know, I just, I had spent a while with digital and just kind of got burned out on it. And it wasn't that I hated digital or anything. I just kind of got burned out on it. And, you know, the stuff I was doing wasn't really interesting to me. Um, so I thought I would, I'd give film a try and, I, I'd shot it before back in middle school, but I didn't really know what I was I was doing. Um, so yeah, kind of a, a similar scenario scenario there in terms of uh, jumping into it and kind of falling in love with it from from the get go. Yeah, and there's something that was kind of interesting, um, which is that you know there there's nothing wrong with with the digital camera I was using. I mean, it was a great camera, um, but I think it was mostly that I just wasn't putting. I wasn't disciplined enough as a photographer. I would, you know, I I wouldn't wait until the light was was really good. I would like take a picture before then, and you kind of try to, you know, make it look the way you wanted it to in post, which which never really works. But with with the film, I had I had accountability. You know, be shooting slide film on a you know situation where there's like a sunrise or sunset or something like that. If there's if there's not really interesting light to be had. There's not interesting light to be had. So it would kind of force me to wait around another day or two and, um, you know, wait for the conditions to be right. And um, so I, I think that that limitation is really what I needed as a photographer to become more patient, um, which which is definitely something that is of of use when it comes to to landscape shooting. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's a good point you bring up. I think a lot of photographers, just because we have the capability to take photos of whatever, and to your point of, uh, because we have these endless memory cards, it really allows us to uh, do that. And and that's great for a lot of scenarios. And you need that, especially for client work and being on shoots and stuff. But kind of going back to what I was saying earlier, there's definitely something to be said about film and large format in general, not only is it difficult to do, but you're paying a price literally to take each photo. So you yeah. have to be dedicated and have to uh, really, like you said, if the the light isn't there, it's just straight up not there. And hey, maybe it'll come back in like five or 10 minutes. But if it's not, I probably wouldn't take that photo unless you really want to. Yeah. Yeah. And it also kind of has taught me to, you know, what does look good in in the sort of light that I can shoot and kind of um, you know, if you go to an area, especially an area that you're not familiar with and you're trying to shoot landscapes and, you know, you're surrounded by so much stuff all around you, it's kind of hard to even come up with a plan as far as, you know, what am I going to shoot? When am I going to shoot it? But when you have some 
pretty substantial limitations as far as right away, you know, I can't shoot this, I can't shoot this, I can't shoot this. It really uh, narrows the scope as far as what what you can shoot. And I, I found that there's a certain degree of sort of comfort in that because, um, you know, when if you're sitting, like there, there'll be times where I'm in a place like Death Valley and I kind of found a composition I like. I'm just kind of sitting on it for a few hours and then, you know, you're getting close to sunset and then, you know, way down valley to the south, like the light's really blowing up down there. And uh, meanwhile, what I'm pointing my camera at isn't really having the same light show to it, but, you know, I'll just kind of stick with what I have. It actually ends up being a better shot because it wasn't rushed. It was, it wasn't a last minute thing. It was just, you know, scoping it out, the composition and everything ahead of time and uh, getting the shot that really was after all along. Yeah, I was following along with your recent Death Valley trip, and it's so funny. Every time on a lot of your videos, the end will come up, and I'm like, "Wait, no, I want to see more." <laughs> uh, and it's always a it's always a cliffhanger, and I'm like, "No." Yeah, you know that has a tendency to happen sometimes. That's for sure. Yeah. So to that point, I think you're doing a, a pretty good job of keeping people interested because yeah. I was like, "Oh man, I wish it hadn't have ended." Um, did you? Uh, well, I guess you don't want to give anything away, but. Uh, did you have a good good time on your trips out to Zion and, and Death Valley? Yeah, it was it was a really good trip though. I will say that it was probably one of the more frustrating trips when I was actually on the trip. Um, it was it was a sort of trip where I was I was out in the field, and you, sometimes you ask yourself like, well, why am I here? You know, uh, because there were some crazy conditions that were just changing so fast, and and that there wasn't any way that I could keep up with it. I mean, I would driving along i'd see something really good and by the time i'd even get a camera set up whatever i was pointing the camera at wasn't there anymore and it was it was frustrating kind of when you're surrounded by so much stuff going on all around you but you you're it's like so slow you can't you can't set up for anything um so it, it was it was very frustrating in the moment but at the same time um when i did get the film back from the lab there's actually i had a much higher um, rate of keeper shots than, than other trips, which really surprised me because I was not really looking forward to to checking out my film from the trip because I thought there'd be all kinds of sloppy mistakes and um, you know bad decisions and all that. But turns out that it, it actually did pretty well. So it was it was a really weird trip, um, but also ended up being a very very productive trip, which which was certainly a very good thing. That's great, man. I actually have never done a backpacking trip shooting film specifically. Um, I'm definitely curious to hear from you on on that whole process. Uh, it's, it seems like it's a lot of fun, but really challenging at the same time. It it really is. Yeah, I can just tell being that film alone in large format is hard. Just me being in my backyard taking a photo, <laughs> it's clear that it's probably much harder when you're uh, going out to an area that's always changing and, and even if you have been there many times before. Yeah. And um, I'm actually kind of getting in the process now of getting ready for my my next trip, which will be in the spring. And this this will be my my annual backpacking trip for the year. And I mean, assuming that the weather is is decent for it, but uh, it'll be to some canyon areas in southern Utah where, um, you know, if, if, if there's good blue skies, that's all I really need for areas I want to go to. But um, this will be my I don't know, I lose track, maybe like my sixth backpacking trip, something like that. But um, the, the first trip I went on, uh, it was it was pretty demanding um, because I I was carrying way too much weight. Um, I, I've since learned how to really reduce the weight I was carrying, but I, I had like, it was 80 something pounds. Wow. It was, it was a lot. And uh, 
but I, I wasn't allowed to complain because I was, I was going on the trip with a buddy of mine. Uh, his name is Shane Dignam. Uh, he also shoots eight by 10. He has the same camera as me. And, uh, right when we were at the trailhead, uh, his uh, waist belt broke on his backpack. Oh gosh. And so he had to carry all the weight on his shoulders. And the first, the first day we, we covered uh, about eight miles uh, of some terrain that was, uh, it was a bit rough at times. I can imagine. Um, yeah. So things have gotten a lot better since then. Um, I, uh, now that I'm getting ready for my latest trip, um, I'll be taking the Intrepid 8x10 with me, which will save a lot of weight, which is awesome. And I have some uh, Chamonix film holders. So I figure I'll probably take four film holders so I can take a total of eight photos on the trip, which doesn't sound like a lot, but that should be just fine. Um, but I was, I was sort of starting to pack my bag and I don't have any food or water in there yet. I also don't have my video kit, but that stuff shouldn't, shouldn't weigh too much. But I'm only at 39 pounds right now, which is which is pretty impressive. Yeah, I was going to say that's really good given the fact that you have an 8x10 and video gear. Yeah, yeah. I've, I, I'm have i very minimal on the, the rest of the camping stuff. I just have a bivy sack. Um, I, my, my, I'm not carrying a tripod head. I'm just going to take a leveling base so I can get about 15 degrees of being able to angle the camera around, which should be fine, um, and some lightweight lenses. But I, I think I could probably keep it under 50 pounds. And uh, if that's the case, then it would probably be a little bit more of an enjoyable trip than some of those early trips. So would you say in terms of your film of choice, do you prefer slide film over color negative or does it just kind of depend on the situation? It, it really does depend on the situation. Um, I, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of Velvia 50, um, but I, I don't I, I like to use it in situations where um, it's a fairly low contrast scene. And in that case, it's actually pretty true to the scene. I think it only sort of goes crazy with the colors and the contrast if you use it in more of a contra- contrasty situation. And I try to avoid using it then. Uh, but Velvia 50 is is by far my most used film. Um, and then if it's a high contrast situation, uh, I'll use Kodak Ektar 100. Uh, that does really well, especially with the highlights. Um, so I'm, I'm a big fan of that. And, and lately I've been using more uh, the Provia 100 Though on my recent trip, I'm pretty sure that the batch of film I was using had a manufacturer's defect. Ooh. Um, and it did affect a once in a lifetime kind of photo. But at the same time, there's ways of making it all better. Um, but there was like this weird, uh, it was a horizontal photo, but there's this weird vertical banding uh, that's very evenly spaced across the entire frame. Where it kind of goes lighter, darker, lighter, darker, uh, almost like a, like gel bars or like a fence or something. But it's very, very faint. But it's definitely there, especially if I try to you know pull the levels on on it. But uh, um, so I, I probably I don't trust that batch of film anymore. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I actually haven't shot Velvia fifty before. Uh, whenever I shoot slide, I'm normally shooting on Provia. Um, and I've never really had any issues with it unless it's my own fault for like over or underexposing. Yeah. But I really like that film. Um, it's slide film, so it's definitely finicky mm-hmm. uh, with getting your exposures right. But for the most part, if you really take the time to meter your scene and make sure you're sure. not going to completely blow your highlights and stuff like that, uh, you can get some really cool results with it. And uh, most of the time, the colors are really spot on to what you were hoping for, or at least in, in my scenario. So, 
Um, I, I love shooting with it. And, uh, I mean the, the developing process is, is really cool too, because you get to see some crazy colors when you pour the chemicals out. Uh, they're normally like a bright purple color. It's, it's pretty wild. Um, oh, do you ever develop film or anything like that? Um, I've been kind of doing my own black and white film, but I really haven't been taking the black and white all that seriously. I'm still kind of trying to figure out what I want to do with it. Um, for the slide film and for the color negative film, I got a lab that's probably about a 40 minute drive from my house. And so I'm, I'm pretty happy to, to give them my business just because I don't know. I, I still don't trust myself fully. <laughs> no, I totally understand. Honestly, like every time I develop film, I'm like, well, this is either going to turn out great or it's going to turn out horrible. And, uh, it's just kind of the luck of the draw, but yeah. most of the time it turns out pretty good. And, um, I, I used to work for a company called the fine lab. They're out of Utah and I was an editor for them mainly doing like black and white. And it was really cool to be able to see different types of photography where it come in uh, with black and white, uh, just because I tend to do like a specific style, I guess, with certain films. So whether, whether it's like slide film or color negative or black and white. Um, but yeah, it was just really interesting to see different styles of shooting people do with black and white. Oh yeah. Uh, lately because of winter in, in North Carolina, it's just like so bleak here that I feel like all I want to do is shoot black and white in the winter time because there's just like not many great colors around. And I'm like, well, yeah, there's not, not a lot of color to record at that point. Yeah, there really isn't. So I'm like, well, I'll just shoot some black and white, but it's funny because I've been actually shooting a ton of color lately too. So I don't even know what I'm doing, man. I just kind of shoot whatever. <laughs> yeah, I don't really put any strict parameters on myself or anything. But we are going to take a quick break here, and we will be back shortly. you guys are enjoying this episode so far just thought i would do a quick self-promotion uh, if you're interested in purchasing any prints of my work you can check out my shop at noahdanielsmith.com prints i have sizes that range from 4x5 up to 13 by 19 inches and they can be in full color or black and white i use a variety of archival red river paper and produce everything myself from the developing stage to scanning editing and then the final print uh, you can get in touch with me through Instagram or email if you're interested. Thanks for listening this far, and let's get back to the show. So, Ben, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about what happens after you take a photo. Whenever you're editing, do you have a like a specific process you use or a method to bringing in scans and, and those kind of things in terms of a workflow? Um. Nothing too fancy. I mean, I just use the the regular Epson software. I have an Epson V700 and I don't use any special software or special profiles or anything like that. I just use the regular Epson software. Um, I, I scan the files fairly large. Um, for the most part, I, I view the scanning as kind of like a digital loop in a way. And if I'm going to have a, a print made for someone, I'll have it uh, sent out for a drum scan. Um, but I scan it where it's probably like like. 30 inches by whatever it is, 40 something inches on the, on the longer side, um, at about 100 pixels per inch. So I can kind of look in it close at it, but you know, for the, the slide film, it's just a matter of just trying to, trying to scan it. So it looks 
reasonable as far as the shadows and highlights all being there. So it's a little bit of a flat, not super saturated scan. Um, I did have to make a, a custom mask um, to scan the 8x10 film because the scanner I have didn't really come with any provisions for scanning film other than just placing the film on the glass itself. Um, and then you get all those uh, Newton rings, which is which is horrible. Um, so yeah, I made, I made a custom mask out of a, uh, a pet food placemat. Uh, which has worked really, really well for probably about, I don't know, I've had it for maybe like four years now and uh, just kind of keeps the film up off the glass. Um, and then the the tricky one's always scanning the color negative film. Um, I've had people ask me to like do a video on how I do that. And I don't really have a special technique other than I just use the standard Epson software and I just kind of play with each level independently. So I'll adjust the you know, the, the, the brightness via the levels and the scanning software, they'll do the red, the green, the blue channels, and just kind of keep going through it over and over again until I get something that's pretty decent. Um, and then once I'm in Photoshop, uh, I do a lot of stuff with curves and layers and masking, um, just depending on whatever the image needs. But usually my goal, if it slides, is to try to get it back to the way that it looks like as a slide, unless there's some sort of, you know, uh, color cast I'm trying to fix. Um, and as I'm going through and editing the the videos for my Death Valley trip, the the day two video um, is going to have it where it'll show the scans of the photos at the end. There'll be uh, three photos I shot that day, but I'll show the scans and then it'll cut to a clip where it actually shows the actual film on the light table, which is um, something that someone has suggested um, because on the the first, uh, first video I of the series, I didn't even really want to bother scanning the photo I shot that day because it really wasn't something I was planning on doing anything with. Um, so I just cut to a clip of me just putting a piece of film on a light table. But people really like seeing that. So so now I'll show kind of the the scan of the film and do what I normally do. But then it'll show the actual film on the on the light box. So you can kind of see what it looks like compared to the scan. And in most cases, it's actually going to be fairly similar. Yeah, that's a really great idea. A lot of times if I'm working with slide film, I'll put my iPad next to me and I'll put the film in the sleeve itself and uh, just lay that on top of the mm -hmm. iPad and work from it. there in Photoshop just to have a reference. And yeah, like you said, that to me is kind of the goal to get it back to what it actually looks like unless uh, you know there's like a crazy color cast or whatever. But it's funny, you would think it's easy to do that. And most of the time it is, unless there's just like a crazy light reflection. But sometimes it, it gets kind of tricky to get it to look like the actual slide image. Yeah, and it's, it's all a matter of trying to sort of have the same experience of looking at that slide on a light table with a loop and trying to have that same experience of having it on the computer. It, it, like you're saying, it should be something that it seems like it should be simple, but it, it takes a bit of work sometimes to kind of get it to turn out the way that it looked like to begin with. Oh, yeah. Have you tried that method that Alan Brock uh, was talking about with the Velvia 50 on the um, Japanese Amazon thing? Oh, the Amazon Japan? Yeah. I, I haven't yet, though, because I still have a pretty decent stockpile of it. Actually, I just got in another shipment of another like four boxes. I, I got through another method um, pretty recently. So I, I'm not due for any yet, but that is how I'm planning on buying it in the future. You know, so long as that method's still around and still works. Right. I was thinking of giving that a try here fairly soon. Um, so I know a lot of photographers uh, enjoy the technical and creative aspects 
Uh, do you really enjoy that technical side or, or do you like to, um, you know, have that time to go out there and really figure out your shot? The, I mean, the, the technical stuff, I think at a certain point just kind of becomes autopilot at a certain point. You don't, you don't even really think about it. Um, I, I think for me that the main thing is just so long as the camera kind of disappears in your hands and you don't even think about what you're doing. Um, but to me, that's a pretty good sign. Um, I always enjoy the process that, or I should say the challenge of trying to find a composition for a particular scene. Cause I, I might be walking around, I see something that looks really good and just start the process of thinking about, you know, how do I find a composition for this scene that is well balanced, that kind of gives the the feeling of being there and seems somewhat effortless um, to the point where I, I guess one of my goals as a photographer is, is to make it where you don't even realize that there was a camera there taking the picture. You just look at that picture and you just, you know, take the scene for what it is without thinking about all the technical stuff that went into kind of making the image. And I think a lot of that's a matter of just, you know, trying to, trying to troubleshoot the scene and try to find that right composition that just seems kind of effortless in a way. Um, so that's, that's a process I, I think I like. Um, and the technical stuff just kind of goes along with it, but kind of goes, kind of works in the background as an autopilot more than anything. Yeah. That's a good way of looking at it. It's kind of one of those things where if you're not familiar with working with a specific camera, it can kind of be interesting to learn the ins and outs of it. But over time it uh, becomes second nature and, and it really should since the camera is, is just a tool and, and you're using it to create whatever you're trying to do. So um, yeah, if it can become more second nature type of thing, uh, that's when you can really start creating some, some great images. Yeah, that's um, the uh, the camera I'm using now. It's a Arca Swiss eight by ten that I got um, this past summer as the replacement for my ebony. And this is the second trip that I've used that camera on now. But I will say that there were probably three scenes I photographed um, on my winter trip that I couldn't have shot on the ebony just because the Arca Swiss made it so much easier to shoot. Um, so that's definitely a matter where. You know, the technical side of things, you know, having a camera that doesn't get in the way of the process um, can make a make a pretty big difference. And in this case, it was a matter of, you know, I had to set the camera up in the dark three times. And one of those times it was raining while I was doing that. And uh, there are just some things about that camera from a technical standpoint where um, it works a little differently than a normal large format camera because you could focus off in the distance. So if there was just a tiny little bit of light up before sunrise, I can put a loop on the ground glass. I can see the mountains way off in the distance. I could, I had just enough light to focus on them. Um, but then it has this really cool asymmetrical front tilt where you just, you turn a knob, it's all geared. You turn a knob until the foreground is sharp and I can shine a flashlight on the foreground. Um, and I could do things that on the ebony would have been pretty hard to do. So uh, from a technical standpoint, yeah, there, there's times when having the, the right tool can be can be make or break and can allow you to get a shot that otherwise would be a matter of frustration. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, so I recently started using a Fresnel lens over my ground glass and uh, it really helped with being able to see corners and it just you know brightened up the glass in general. But I've been finding it uh, actually really hard to nail focus just because of the pattern over the Fresnel lens. And, um, yeah, it's been kind of tricky actually to be able to, to nail focus. So I, I took it off. Um, but I was just curious, do you use any of that kind of stuff on, uh, on your cameras? 
So the Arca Swiss camera has one of those built into it, and which is one of the reasons why that thing does really well in low light. But I think it's done in a way where the focusing isn't an issue because I had heard exactly what you had mentioned about, you know, hard to see how the focusing is. Um, but with the Arca Swiss, I can put my loop on the glass and I could see without a doubt if it's in focus or not. There's no like questioning on that. Um, my ebony does not have uh, a Fresnel on it at all. Um, but I've been able to use that camera in some pretty dim situations and some like slot canyons and stuff that I know the Arca Swiss would do better at, but, um, I, I know I have a lot of friends who really swear by the, the Fresnels that they put on the ground glass, but you know, with the ebony, I, I, I did fine through the years. Um, and then the intrepid, um, I haven't used it on an actual trip yet, but I don't think I'm going to put uh, a Fresnel on there. I think I'll just keep it a regular ground glass. So it, it could also be that maybe it, it makes a bigger difference on, maybe it's different on four by five versus eight by 10, but um, I, I didn't see like the mind blowing, like, hey, this is like completely way different. Um, so maybe I'm just used to the the relatively dim ground glass on the ebony and everything else seems pretty good by comparison. Yeah, for sure. So whenever you're traveling around different places and um, even around just where you live, do you find yourself, uh, you know, going more towards one particular subject or something in particular that catches your eye that you've shot multiple times uh, just because you in- enjoy doing that? Um, I mean, I, I, I think for the most part, um, I'm really drawn to a lot of things in, in reflected light. Um, a lot of times smaller scenes, sort of scenes on the ground. Um, I always try to kind of keep an eye out for things that other people might kind of walk right past, but, um, to me kind of like stand out. So, um, but I, I do return to the same locations over and over again. Um, Zion national park, death Valley national park. I'll, I'll go to those areas multiple times a year. And, um, so in that sense, yeah, I, I definitely go to those same places a lot. But every time I go there, they they look a bit different, which is which is kind of cool. And I, I really enjoy the process of of getting to know a location. Um, and sometimes people ask, you know, do you plan on branching out and going to other places? I, I definitely do. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I know exactly that I can go to those areas and I can come away with some pretty good photos because I've kind of gotten familiar with the weather and what happens there. Um, and if I had time to sort of go on unlimited trips, uh, if I wasn't trying to like, you know, juggle a bunch of different things, you know, uh, I, I would love to go to some new areas and mix it up and experiment a little bit more. And, um, that's, that's something for maybe, maybe down the road at some point. Yeah, definitely. Well, I, I think there's something to be said about being able to go back to the same place, but be able to find something different to take a photo of. Yeah, it's a challenge sometimes. Or even if it's the same thing and it's changed, but you figure out a different way to take a photo of it. Um, I, I think there's something unique about that. And, uh, you, you know, I, I used to live in an area with this park behind my house. And, and uh, I mean, most parks are, are pretty bland in terms of photos to take, but there was always an interesting sunset around that area. So I just found myself wanting to go there and, and take photos of it. And, uh, you know, it was always different and, and it's just one of those things where it depends on what you're doing with the location that you're at, you know, like, are you taking the exact same photo each time? Yeah. Uh, you know, those kind of things. And so I think it's just up to you as the photographer, if that's something you want to continue forward with, or if maybe there's a different way of looking at a similar scene. 
Yeah, it's 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 definitely kind of a, a challenge. Um, but also, I think it's it's kind of cool because um, you can go back to those those same areas and see how things have changed. And and there's you know what may have been a good photo a while back isn't a good photo anymore. It's kind of cool to know that you know you you shot something when like a particular tree was at its best, and now that tree isn't around anymore. You know that scene that you shot all those years ago is is different now and. Um, so there, there's always new new opportunities and, and things change a lot. It's actually pretty pretty amazing how things can change so fast. Um, but it's, it's it's something that's very enjoyable about that. And I also like going back to uh, the locations I've shot before and just kind of you know visiting those areas where I spent like a couple hours in the past, you know, uh, shooting a photo there and kind of seeing what's new, what's different. So there's something kind of cool about that as well. That's cool, man. I was curious, just coming from someone who also works a full-time job, uh, how does that work for you? Um, do you find that challenging or, or does it help because it can break up your week a little bit? Um, I'm just always curious to hear from other photographers who, uh, you know, they don't really do photography as their full-time, full-time thing. It, it is it's always a struggle trying to come up with a good balance for being able to do that. I'm very fortunate to have a job where I have the ability to, you know, take a couple of weeks off here and there and go on the trips, which is great. And I've actually scaled back um, the hours of my job where uh, last year, I, as an experiment, I decided to go from working five days a week to four days a week. And with that extra day off each week, I was able to be very, very productive. Um you know, I went on the same number of trips, but at the same time, uh, I was able to kind of work on more video stuff and, you know, produce higher quality stuff. And, um, and that, that worked out really well. And, and now actually, um, going forward, I'm working three days a week. So it's now I have more time to kind of work on the photo stuff and, you know, maybe I'll get some four day weekends from time to time where I can go off and make a quick trip to Death Valley or something, but it is a challenge. I, I think it's it's good to have the balance of being able to pay the bills um, as well as you know pursue photography. Um, but I will say things are going in a good direction, and uh, it would be nice at some point to be able to to do this full time and you know not not be as much at the mercy of whatever the conditions are at a particular location when I already happen to have you know time off to go on a shooting trip, but. You know, say, oh, there's a cool storm heading through. Maybe I'll head over to Death Valley or or something along those lines. And um, so that that would be kind of the ultimate goal. But it is it is it's a challenge. It's um it, it's good. Um, but I think that this the difficult part is trying to find a balance that works out well. Yeah, I agree. You kind of just have to be honest with yourself about what it is you're trying to do. And you know, is photography what you want to do full time? Is that actually viable at this point in your life? Kind of thing. And uh, yeah, so I totally agree with that. Um, on some of my days off or on the weekends, I'm always like, oh man, I'm going to use this time and go out and shoot some photos and stuff. But we get a lot of rain here in North Carolina, so it can sometimes be pretty challenging to, to get out there and, and start taking some photos. But if I can't shoot, I'll normally try to, to develop, which is fun since it's just like a totally different process in general. Oh, for sure. So you mentioned going to Death Valley and Zion a good bit. Is there one place in particular that you love going to? That's that's your favorite. It would it would it would definitely be Zion. Um, and, and the thing that's cool about that place is it's there's a lot of diversity there. Um, there's always something to shoot. Um, Death Valley can be very frustrating at times. It's mostly a sunrise and sunset kind of location. 
Um, but Zion, you could shoot at midday. There's there's always something going on, whether it's winter time, uh, whether it's fall time. Spring and summer are crazy busy, so it's not really fun to shoot there then. But uh, but you can always find something to shoot. Um, there's always something new. There's always something different. So that's one of the reasons why I sort of embraced going to Zion. Uh, it's only about an eight hour drive from my house, so it, it doesn't it doesn't take too long to get there. Um, but also, it's it's far enough away where you know if a day isn't going really well, and for whatever reason I'm just kind of you know tired of the trip and want to go home. I look at my watch like, well, if I leave now, I'll get home at like 4 a.m. So that's not an idea. So I guess I got to stick it out another day. So having a little bit of distance can 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 be a nice thing. Um, but also lately I've really been enjoying going over to the Escalante area, which is in Southern Utah. And, um, there's some really cool stuff over there. Um, there's some backpacking you can do over there and, um, you can really get away from the crowds, which is nice and, and have the place to yourself. Um, and, and also Capitol Reef is pretty good, but overall Zion has by far been the most productive for me through the years. And I'll keep going there for a very, very long time. That's cool, man. Uh, I'm actually going to be out in the Big Sur area in March. Uh, my fiance and I are going to be going there for for our honeymoon, and um, yeah, pretty excited to see that part of the country in general. Um, definitely different from uh, Zion and, and those kind of places, but just from some of the photos I've seen, it looks like a pretty pretty neat place. That's that's a gorgeous area. It's an area that I would actually love to go up to and do some shooting there at some point. Um, maybe at some point, you know, later down the line, but yeah, I, I've seen some really great stuff from there, the, the rugged coastline and, and all kinds of really cool stuff there. So I think you'll, you'll enjoy that. Yeah, definitely. I was mentioning earlier about days when it's raining outside and was just kind of curious, um, you know, what do you do when you're not feeling creative? Um, I mean, do you sort of just like embrace that and, and let it be what it is and kind of do whatever else you like to do? Or do you try to like draw some creativity somewhere? Um, well, if it's on a, if it's when I'm on a trip, um, I always find just, just going and wandering around kind of gets the mind going. Um, there'll be days when I'm on a trip somewhere and, um, you know, I, I, I don't have a particular subject in mind and, and you, you, don't, you just don't really, you're not really in that right zone, but I'll just go for a walk and, and, and usually I'll end up finding something pretty fast in that regard. Um, and that's really what I do all my photography. I mean, I, I really don't do any photography um, around home just because I think you have to be in kind of a, a different mindset, especially with the large format stuff. And and also, like, I don't really want to shoot when there's when there's other people around. Like, I don't really want to go to the coast and take photos because then you end up becoming the center of attention. I really, I really don't want that to be the case because I'm, you know, I'm trying to take a photo and, and, and you know, uh, if 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 I was just like a regular person, I didn't know anything about. Um, you know, large format of photography. I see some guy with a wooden camera. Yeah, I'm going to go up and ask him a question because, you know, it, it, it stands out, you know, it's different. Uh, but at the same time, if I'm the guy sitting there trying to take the picture, it's already so much stuff to juggle as is. And uh, and I, I think I'd really struggle. So that's why I usually kind of venture off the beaten path and try to find some quiet corner somewhere, which is usually why I just do the photography on the trips. But yeah, I just like going for going for a little walk, wander around, and um, usually find something to kind of put me in the right mindset. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that with being out in Zion and, and those kind of areas, which are pretty popular in general. And uh, I guess it just kind of depends on where you actually are walking around. For but, sure. Uh, do you ever get caught up with having to wait for someone to, to get out of your shot? Almost never, actually. Um, 
which you would think, you know, a place like Zion, that there's a ton of people there. Um, but I really do avoid the areas that are, um, that have a lot of people there. Um, and usually if I run into other people when I'm out wandering around, it's usually other photographers and it's usually other photographers that I know. Um, so it's just kind of, you know, catching up with, with stuff, but, um, but yeah, it's, it, I think it's one of the reasons why I've kind of ventured off into the areas I go to because it is nice just to be able to kind of set up in quiet and kind of work the composition without having to worry about, you know, other things like people walking through and, and, and stuff along those lines. Yeah. That is something that's nice about not shooting around the area you live in, uh, unless you're like out in the middle of nowhere, but yeah. I find that a challenge on a daily basis for me. Anytime I'm out shooting, I'm like, Oh, there's a person, there's another person. Yeah. And, and I, I envy people that, that actually do a lot of shooting uh, close to home because, um, I mean, it would, it would be really nice to be able to do that. Um, and, and honestly, I mean, I, I know some people that do some really awesome shooting here in the San Diego area. They know all these really great trails they'll hike and all this. And I don't even know any of those trails because I don't, don't really spend enough time exploring areas close to home, which I really should. Um, but it's just, just a different way of working, I guess. Yeah, definitely. So I have one final question for you and it's a little cliche, but in terms of photography, what does it actually mean to you and, and why is it something you pursue? And then secondly, um, you know, what is it that keeps you going with it? That's, that's a very good question. Um, it's, it's hard to put into words. I've actually been thinking about trying to do sort of a video somewhat on that topic. I've been trying to kind of figure out what exactly it is. Um, but it's like, it's kind of weird, but like, I, I don't see myself as, as an artist. I don't see myself as a photographer, which sounds kind of weird, but I think this day and age when, you know, it's the video stuff and the photo stuff and everything kind of combined, um, it's kind of a process of just kind of like exploring what's around me and trying to document kind of what's around me and sort of the challenge of trying to find a composition um, but it's, it's difficult to really put into words because, um, I don't know, I feel like there should be something, something deeper to, to be said about that, but I just see it as a way, I guess, of putting together a lot of the different things that I enjoy as far as, you know, being out there and hiking and kind of scrambling around like a kid, you know, <laughs> looking for cool things, um, problem solving as far as putting a camera out there, but it's almost as though the, the photos I shoot really aren't the end result. Um, because I, I was actually looking at my website the other day, I have like 70 photos up there that were all shot in large format film. And I really haven't done too much with those images. So I, I don't think it's really the photos that are the end result. It's more about the process of just kind of having an excuse to, to go out and go to some cool areas and spend some time camping and, uh, stuff along those lines. So it's hard, hard to put into words, I, I guess you would say, but something I certainly really enjoy doing. Yeah. I mean, I think that's well put actually. Um, I, I think it's similar for me too, just being someone who likes to be outside, but you know, I'm on a computer for my work on a day-to-day basis. It's just a great excuse, like you said, to get outside and, and just enjoy what's out there and, and see what you can make with mm-hmm. that and, and, uh, just enjoy the process. Um, and, and, you know, I think a lot of times with, uh, just being film photographers, we can put a lot of pressure on ourselves, which, I mean, I don't know, I think it's a culmination of social media and, and just other things like that. But at the end of the day, I think it's just great to be outside and, and not worrying about an LCD screen or a, yeah. or like a battery dying and, 
And that's just what's so cool about film is it's really just about what you're doing with your hands and, and not having to rely on an electronic device. Yeah, it's, it's nice to be sort of outside the obsolescent cycle of, you know, you, you have a camera and which you think is great and amazing. And then all of a sudden there's another one out and you feel like you got to have that camera now. And it's, I, I will say it, it is pretty liberating to kind of be outside that cycle where, you know, I, I can look at the the camera I have now, the lenses I have now and, and say, hey, these are the lenses I'm going to be using for a really long time. And if I end up buying another lens, it's because something really bad happened to my other lens. So, you know. <laughs> It, it, it is kind of nice to to be outside the obsolescent cycle. It's nice to have an excuse to go out and kind of explore and, and kind of uh, there was a, a trip I went on a while back. Actually, it was my, my fall trip where the conditions just weren't cooperating. It was really windy and I was waiting for the, the wind to calm down and I was waiting for some clouds to blow away. And I didn't have anything else to do. So I just kind of laid down there at the base of a cottonwood tree and uh, almost fell asleep. I just kind of took a nap there for a little while. And I, I wouldn't have done that if I didn't have the camera with me. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have done that if I, if I didn't have the goal of, of taking pictures. So kind of a cool process that kind of gives an excuse to go to some cool areas and see some great things and, and spend some time doing stuff that I like to do. Oh, yeah, definitely. I saw your New Year's resolution video, and, and I think you hit the, the nail right on the head there with just not putting too much pressure on yourself and just trying to be in the moment. Um, you know, those places out West and, and Zion and, and Death Valley, they're just such beautiful places. And the landscapes are, are just so specific to that, that region. I, I just, I think it's great that you're trying to do that this year and really try to be in the moment of where you are and, and not be too caught up with the, the photo aspect of it. Um, you know, even though that's why you're there, but I think there's a balance to it. Yeah. It's, it's a, Definitely the purpose of being there, but at the same time, you know, if I if I come home from a trip and don't even really realize that I was even there to begin with, it kind of feels like I'm the one that was missing out because I was working too hard on trying to take photos and not really just being in the moment and enjoying the time there. So definitely something I want to try to work on on my future trips. So do you have any projects you're working on right now or like any upcoming things you want to share? Um, I don't really have any projects, so to say. I guess just um, uh, kind of keep keep plugging away at doing what I've been doing the, um, and usually I do a book each year, but in 2017, I ended up doing a, a portfolio box set, which is just, uh, my favorite photos from the year kind of in a box really nicely presented. And that actually worked out really, really well. And, uh, so now for 2018, I'll be doing the same thing. So it gives me a motivation to come up with, you know, you know, 10, 11 or 12 photos that are ones I'm really, really happy with. Um, so I'll be kind of working on that in the background. But after the, um, the Death Valley trip where I, I got some photos I really like from that trip, I already have like, honestly, half the photos I need from the year. So uh, I'll be able to kind of coast a little bit and um, maybe take some time to, to enjoy where I am without the pressure of having to shoot as much. But that's my main project, that and then um, just keeping working on the, the video stuff. And, um, but nothing, nothing outside the ordinary, just kind of the same old thing. Awesome. Well, where can people find you online and uh, on social media and those kind of things? So my my website is is benhorn.com and that's B-E-N-H-O-R-N-E.com. That'll link to all my social media, but uh, on Twitter, I'm uh, benhorn. Um, I, I'm there pretty much the most. Uh, Instagram, benhornphoto. Uh, YouTube, if you search for benhorn, you'll pull me up. Um, I don't really, I don't, I'm not too active on Facebook. I I, I try, but... I don't know. Something about the user interface I just I just, I just can't get into. But I'm on there too. 
<laughs> yeah, I totally understand. Uh, well, cool, man. Well, I appreciate you being on the show. Um, this is really, really good to just kind of chat. And like I said, um, you know, it's it's always nice to be able to talk to another film photographer that are, that I respect. And um, you know, just it's just cool to see some of the work that you do and and how much time and and effort you put into it. And um, so yeah, it definitely is. Uh, it doesn't go unnoticed. So um, yeah, keep up the awesome work, man. And um, yeah, thanks again for being on the show. Sweet man, I appreciate that. That's awesome. That was a lot of fun getting to talk with Ben and hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. Uh, Be sure to check out Ben's work on his website and Instagram. He's got some really great photos. Uh, I'll also be including links in the show notes and you can follow along for more content on each episode at noahdanielsmith.com slash shooting wide open. If you want to stay up to date on future episodes, I'll be posting dates to my Instagram, which is just at noahdanielsmith. Thanks again for listening, and if you have any topics you'd like discussed, feel free to reach out. Mm-hmm.